Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 67, Sean Strickland versus Nasruddin Imavov. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got two top middleweights, but they're fighting at light heavyweight for the first main event of 2023. You know, initially it was supposed to be Kelvin Gastelum versus Imavov, but I don't know if y'all saw what happened to Kelvin. Uh, posted a picture. Dude's missing a tooth. He's got a staph infection on his face, which I'm thinking to myself, uh, as someone that trains jujitsu every day, bro, you better be showering after these sessions. That That's disgusting. There's no excuse for that. For You know, I know these guys that they'll drive home in their geese, and some of them won't even shower. It's like, oh, my God, dude. So, like, yeah, the tooth is one thing. You probably ate an accidental knee, but – there's no there's no excuse for that staph infection on your face. So you better be showering after you train. But now we got a brand new main event at 205 pounds between Strickland and Imavov. And it's a hell of a fight. The card ain't half bad either. So we're going to break down the whole fight card. I'm going to give out my bets. going to do the whole bit. So I truly appreciate everybody being here. And real quick, just a little housekeeping notes. If this is your first uh, half the battle, ever welcome welcome to half the battle if you've been you know along for the ride throughout the years thank you all so much been going strong since 2015 so here's another year of half the battle and this is going to be my ninth year of tracking my bets so i'm about to be after this year come next year i'm going to be the first guy on this uh mma twitter sphere with a 10-year track record so really excited last year was my best year today ended uh over 50 units with a 25% ROI, and now it's time to beat those numbers in 2023. So without further ado, everybody smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, and let's get down, let's get down to business. Give me one more night. <laughs> All right, so main event of the evening in the 205-pound division. We got Sean Strickland. He's 25-5, and five, taking on Nasserdine Imavov, who's 12 and 3. Now, is it the Russian sniper or is it the French sniper? You know, I mean, the guy was born in Dagestan, but now he lives in France. Uh, officially, he represents France. He's got the French flag. So I'm not going to question his ways. But what's interesting about this guy, Nasserdine Imavov, is that, you know, he does kind of have a bit of that Cyril Gan striking style where. You know, he's a very, very long guy for the weight class. He loves to keep his distance. He loves bouncing back and forth. He manages his distance excellently. But back to him being born in Dagestan, this is a guy that can also wrestle too. So he's quite an intriguing prospect. And, and something else about him is he's just a kid. He's only 26 years old. And what I was really excited about, you know, when in speaking of the Gastelum versus Imbavov fight, which was the original matchup, was that Gastelum used to be known for being the young guy. And now, you know, times have changed. Imbavov's the young guy. And it's, it's the same case here against Strickland. You know, Strickland, only 31 years old. But Imbavov is the young guy. He's the up-and-comer. So currently, they got it. They got it at dead pick them. They got it minus 110 a piece. But interestingly enough, it actually opened minus 170 for Nasruddin Imavov. So a lot of action has come in on Sean Strickland. I mean, I get it. You know, I guess he's he's the more proven commodity. He's 
you know, coming off back-to-back main events. I mean, he just fought in a UFC main event back in uh, in December against Cannoneer. Prior to that, he was in another high-profile fight. Prior to that, this guy's been in, I mean, a Hermanson main event. The Hall fight was a main event. The Jocko fight was a high-profile fight. So Sean Strickland's been in nothing but big fights. And for Imavov, he's a kid that's been paying his dues. Had a nasty knockout win over Heinish. Finished Shabazian as well. The Buckley fight, and there's a lot to talk about because Nasruddin, uh, for everything he does well, a lot of people are criticizing certain areas of his game. You know, what happens if this hits the later rounds, this and that. So lots to talk about. I'm very, very excited, and let's do it. So in the main event, the light heavyweight division, we got Sean Strickland, who's 25-5, and five, taking on Nasruddin Imovov, who's 12-3, and three. and like I said, it's minus 110 apiece. So the thing that Strickland's got going for him is his output is just beautiful. This guy puts up some great numbers. And, I mean, if you're into the numbers like I am, I mean, this guy goes out there against Jared Cannonier, lands 152 significant strikes. Goes out there against Jack Hermanson, lands 153 significant strikes. Goes out there against Uriah Hall, lands 186 significant strikes. 106 against Jack Marshman. So this guy can consistently land over 100 significant strikes, whether it's a five-round fight or a three-round fight. So output has always been one of Sean Strickland's strengths. The issue is... And I say the issue, look, there's there's no issue about having a nice jab, and this guy has a very clean jab. The issue is that sometimes he's very content to kind of just stay on the outside and pitter-patter. And while the numbers look great on paper, a lot of these fights that he's winning or even losing are split decisions. So what that tells you is that even though he's got this overwhelming amount of volume, he doesn't quite often put the stamp on things, which is kind of what you need here. I mean, listen, in a fight like this, you got pick a mods. You know, you, you don't need a, a thorough domination. You know, in a 50-50 fight, I'm okay with it being a split decision, but I'd rather get dog odds if I think it's going to be that split decision. The caveat for me is, even though Sean Strickland is the kind of guy that lives in the gym. I mean, everybody that's heard about the guys like the Sean Strickland's, the Chris Curtis's, is that these guys literally live in the gym and they go about things quite differently. You know, these are guys that spar five times a week. That's the word on the street. And allegedly, Strickland was back in the gym like a week after the Cannoneer fight. So I don't think that, you know, this guy, you know, is going to come out here with, with, with massive love handles. But I also know that, he hasn't been training for a fight, hence this being at 205 pounds, you know. So even though he's probably been sparring every single day, which is what this maniac does, I'm not quite convinced that he's been out here running his miles, doing his strength and conditioning. Now, I, I could be way off. Someone from Extreme Couture, let me know, like, if he's actually, you know, coming off the Jared Cannonier fight, if he's really out here running his miles, doing his strength and conditioning, and this fight still has to be at 205, then, I, you know, I'll eat my words. But... Yeah, it being at 205 is interesting because a lot of y'all don't, don't know this, but some of y'all do, that Strickland is actually a former welterweight. So this will be the first time that we see him inside the octagon at 205 pounds. Now, back in the day, used to fight at 85s, actually, when he first came into the UFC. If y'all remember the Luke Barnett fight, the, uh, the Bubba McDaniel fight. But then he dropped down to 170 pounds, 
You even got the got all the way to a fight with Usman at 170 pounds, but kind of I think maybe the weight cuts were getting to him a little bit there. So moves up to 85s and he's a top 10, top maybe even a top five guy at this point. I know he was top five at one point, but coming off two losses, let's see what the what the rankings have him at now. Because sometimes, you know, drop a couple fights, you're gonna, you know, naturally you're gonna move back in the rankings. So let's just see if Strickland is still in the top five, just out of curiosity. So currently. They got Strickland number seven. Okay, so he's dropped a couple spots in the rankings, you know, albeit, you know, he lost his last two fights in a row. But I, Strickland is still Strickland. I don't see a decline. I don't see anything like that. It's still going to be high output Strickland. He's going to talk some ridiculous shit, you know, in his media day, talk about how he, he wants to be the guy that's going to kill someone inside the octagon. And then he's going to go out there and throw a bunch of jabs <laughs> in the actual fight, you know, probably not going to knock down anyone. Um Rarely, right? So here's the thing about this matchup. So for Nasserdine, who's got kind of that, I don't want to call it a karate style or a point fighting style, but he's got elements of that, you know, with kind of the wide stance, the hands down, you know, his distance control is really on point. If Sean Strickland just kind of wants to back up and jab, I think it's actually going to be kind of hard to find Nasserdine Imavov. But where I do think that Strickland can have you know, advantages here is if he actually walks down Nasruddin Imavov. So when you're fighting a karate guy, you need to, you guys know what karate guys thrive off. They thrive off that distance. And if Sean Strickland is able to close that distance, and it's funny because Strickland actually has a one-inch reach advantage, but that's, you know, arm's length. That's not measuring uh, legs or, and you have to measure le uh, legs when you're talking about someone with the style of Imavov or someone with the style of Gon, someone with the style of Wonderboy Thompson, where, you know, the way they manage the distance, it's more than just a reach advantage. So for Strickland, he really needs to close that distance and cut off the cage. You can't chase this guy. You have to cut off the cage. You have to make the octagon feel extremely small for Imavov, get him up against the fence. We've seen Imavov up against the fence throughout his UFC career. And it's not that he doesn't have an answer there. He usually does have an answer is just more so that he is prone to being pushed up against the fence and Strickland can possibly get off on some dirty boxing there. It's just that if Strickland wants to, you know, do his, his jab and parrying game, he needs to be the one walking forward. If he's the one walking backwards, I think his distance is going to be completely off. And that's where I think Nasser can have a lot of success. You know, maybe the volume isn't going to be up to par with a guy like Strickland, but I think the effective shots can make up for it. You know, if Strickland lands five soft jabs, but Nasruddin cracks him with one good straight, I think that'll make up for the five jabs that Strickland landed. So what we really got to talk about is this narrative about how Nasruddin Imavov has suspect cardio and this and that allegedly. So... I think it's a little bit overblown. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and debate. Did he slow down in the Buckley fight? Yes, he did. But I, I think there's context that needs to be, you know, put up here. I think some of the context is that those first two rounds, especially that second round, he was putting it on Buckley, man. And when you're whooping someone, not to mention the adrenaline of fighting in the first ever event in Paris, France, I mean... I'd imagine, not to make excuses for him, but I'd imagine that was a massive adrenaline dump. But even with all that said, like it's not a case where like he was close to being finished. 
in that third round or anything like that. I mean, one judge even had a 30-27. That means that one judge had that third round for Imavov. So people making it seem like Buckley 10-8'd him or Buckley almost finished him in that third round is complete exaggeration and is categorically false. Now, did Imavov slow down? Yes, he slowed down. But did he slow down because he's not out here running his miles? I highly doubt it. You see the kind of shape this guy's in? I highly doubt he's out here skipping his runs, his strength and conditioning. It's just a case where sometimes you get tired from whooping a dude's ass. <laughs> and I think that's what happened. And I got to mention this. Just because he slowed down in the third round, that is not indicative that Oh, he can't have a second win in the fourth and fifth? I mean, there was this fight in the same way class between Jack Hermanson and Jacare Souza. First two rounds, Jack Hermanson is taking Jacare Souza to school. Third round, uh, Jack Hermanson slowed down badly. It looked like Jacare was about to take over. But fourth and fifth, Jack caught his second win, goes on to win those next two rounds. So, it's not so black and white to me to say, oh, all Strickland has to do is just get this past the first two rounds and automatically is a lock to win. Like, Nasserdine truly needs to fall apart for this alleged cardio issue to come to light here because I personally don't really think he has a cardio issue. I mean, I've seen him go out there, win decisions. I've seen him go out there, win the third round more than once. Like, so he lost the third round against Buckley, but that's just one example of him losing the third round and we don't have any evidence that he wouldn't have caught a second win in the fourth and fifth round so to me i think that's an overblown narrative now sean strickland with a full training camp and this fight you know being at 185 pounds then it's a little bit different in my eyes because while i do think that even at 205 that strickland is going to come out he's going to be game he's going to be competitive he's going to have that high output I just think that his timing might be just slightly off compared to when he's at his optimal self. And I know for a fact that Nasserdeen's, I mean, he's coming off a full training camp. Now, granted, a full training camp for a completely, a completely different opponent. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum is a southpaw. Sean Strickland is orthodox. That's one big difference. Kelvin Gastelum is five foot six. It says he's five foot nine, but between you and me, he's like five seven, five eight. Sean Strickland is all of six foot one. Kelvin Gastelum's got like a 70 or 71 inch reach. Sean Strickland's got a 76 inch reach. So even though the short notice is, you know, on paper for Strickland, there's a lot of short notice elements for Nasserdin Imavov here. Like I said, it being at 205 pounds, him fighting a completely different body type than he was initially getting ready for. But the good news for Nasserdin is he's fought. Now, I don't want to say he's fought guys with the same output as Strickland because that would also be categorically false, but he's fought guys with this body type before. Orthodox guys who are 6'1", 6'2", you know, like an Edmund Shabazian. It's just... You know, Edmund might be more of a power guy where Strickland is more of just pop a hundred jabs in your face, right? So honestly, man, I kind of agree more towards the opener. And I think that Nasserine Imbabov should kind of be a bigger favorite here. So I'm I, I'm pretty close to betting Imbabov here. I haven't moved in yet. Um I mean, yesterday it was at plus one hundred, so I was like Okay, okay, but it was only available in one book. And now, granted, times have changed. 
in bet online with their openers, it's not those hundred dollar limit openers where you would just bet them and then you'd skyrocket the line. Now they last time I checked, it was like 5k limits on the opener. So times have changed, just like times have changed with props too. It used to be like if you wanted to get down more than a hundred on a prop, you have to like you know use multiple books you have to call up your granny to you know place an account on you know you know what i'm saying you had to you had to do the whole bit uh but now like limits have raised on props too so times have truly changed and the reason i bring that up is because the opening line you know people give a lot of people shit for you know betting those openers and i get it when you're talking about the the hundred dollar openers but times have changed and now we're dealing with 5k opening limits so I think it's fair game if you're if you're betting that you want to get the best of the line. I think it's fair game. But yesterday I saw a plus one hundred on Imbavov, and I was interested. I went to sleep, you know, hoping that maybe it'd get even even better. You know, that's kind of greedy on my part. Now it's minus one ten, which I, I still don't think is that bad. I'm gonna monitor the line, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Imbavov in this spot. Um, I like Strickland, and I think that he does have a path to victory, especially if he can get that. You know just the, the output numbers up there, but he's got to be effective with it. You know, backing up and jabbing some of these jabs, you know, how significant truly are they compared to what Nasserdine is going to be thrown at him? And then the whole talk of Nasserdine allegedly falling off a cliff after, you know, two rounds. I don't buy it as much as other people. Like I said, yes, he lost the third round of the Buckley fight, but he didn't lose it to an extent where like people made it seem like it was a 10-8 Buckley. People made it seem like Buckley was about to finish Imavov. Like I said, one judge even scored that round for Imavov. And that's not to say that Imavov wouldn't have gotten a second win had that fight gone into the fourth and fifth round. So I'm not, I'm willing to admit if I'm wrong, you know, should he tr uh, truly fall off a cliff in this fight and, you know, the later rounds. But until I truly see it like that, uh, I'm not buying into that narrative. So I think that Imavov can be very slick here. I think he has to kind of do a bit. He has to do his style. He has to do that Cyril Gan distance striking. You know, maybe you don't have the output Strickland has, but when you decide to go, you make your shots count. And Strickland is a good defensive wrestler, but maybe a, a nice little takedown at the end of the round it can seal it off if it's a close round. Uh, yeah, it's at 205 pounds. Someone's asking me in the chat. So, and I think that's due to Strickland probably being a little fat, you know? So I just expect Imavov's timing to be slightly better here. I think that, you know, he's going to be in better shape. And, and as a result, you know, it's more of a thing where like, I could see Imavov ending his career at 205 pounds. He's a big 185 man he needs a full camp to make 185 so for him for the ufc to be like hey you don't got to cut to 185 anymore and you just had a full camp imavov is probably uh grinning uh grinning ear to ear whereas strickland it was like well if you want me to save this fight then it has to be at 205 pounds that's the difference so big respect to both guys but i'm gonna go with nasserdine imavov to win the first ufc main event of 2023 and i'm considering uh a bet on this spot too co-main event in the evening in the featherweight division we got dan ige he's 15 and 6 taking on damon jackson who is 22 and 4 and currently they got it dan ige minus 125 the comeback on damon jackson is plus 105 really interesting fight as well because it's easy to sit here and say that 
oh, they're at two, you know, separate spots in their careers because Jackson's on a four fight win streak. Uh, Ige has lost four of his last five, but you have to put some context when you say things like that. I mean, look at the guys they've been fighting. <laughs> I mean, you mean to tell me that if Dan Ige was in there with a Charles Rosa, if Dan Ige was in there with a Dan Argueta, if 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 Dan Ige was in there with a Pat Sabatini or a Kamuela Kirk, now no disrespect to those fighters, but you mean to tell me that Dan Ige wouldn't mop the floor with those guys? Because I think he would. Whereas the guys that Ige has been fighting, and look, some of these losses have been brutal. I agree, but Evloev, like you know what Evloev would do to Damon Jackson? You know what Josh Emmett would do to Damon Jackson? You know what the Korean Zombie? would do to Damon like I respect Damon Jackson a lot like a lot of y'all and, and I don't mean to be condescending when I say things like this but a lot of y'all only know about Jackson from this current run I was around back when Yancey Medeiros and Ronnie Jason were out here finishing Damon Jackson so I got to give Jackson a lot of credit he's come a long way had a nice little run in PFL but I think it's simply a case where look Damon Jackson his nickname the leech it's very fitting He's got a long frame for the weight class. He's almost six feet tall. And when he gets that body lock on you, you know, I'm not saying you're going to go for a ride, but I'm just saying he sticks on you like glue. And oftentimes that might be the end of that round. And Dan Ige is susceptible to being taken down. He's been taken down multiple times throughout his career. But to Dan Ige's credit, he's also very good at scrambling back up to his feet. And he's got, you know, his own attacks uh, on the mat as well. One thing, though, about Dan Ige, regardless of level of competition, you know, regardless of current form, one thing I've always noticed about Ige, you know, throughout his entire career is that for whatever reason, he tends to lose round two of every single fight. And I don't know what it is. It's like he comes out hard in round one, loses round two every single fight and gets a second win in round three. So I don't know what the deal is with that, but that tends to be the case uh, with uh, with Ige from time to time. But what I've heard is that Ige, from people that have fought him, one thing that's always stood out, they're like, Dan, Dan, Dan can crack. <laughs> like, Dan, uh, Dan's got dynamite in his hands, man. They call him 50, 50K Ige for a reason, even though I think when he changed his name to that, I think he, he only got one bonus after that. So maybe it was a curse. But Dan Ige is a hard hitter. Dan Ige is a competent grappler offensively. Defensively, when I, you know, let's just, you know, it's not a case defensively where he's just going to get submitted right away if he gets his back taken, but it is a case where, you know, he could give up a round like that. Like he's not, he's not going to come out. I don't think he's going to come out and get submitted or pounded out, but I think there's moments where Damon can kind of just lean on him, get some top control and steal a round or two that way. But on the flip side of that, Damon Jackson, um, he fades badly down the stretch. His chin is questionable, not just because Taporia knocked him out. Guys, what about Movid back in PFL? What about uh, back in the day, like I told you, even though the Ronnie Jason and Yancey Madero's fights were submissions, I mean, he, they were tagging Damon Jackson up on the feet too. So, And, and, and you got to bring up that in these fights, yeah, he's on this win streak, but like these guys he, he's been fighting who are low-level guys had moments against him. Charles Rosa cut him up badly. I know y'all remember that. Dan Argueta, who was making his debut, put it on him in that third round. So, 
I'm just saying that even though Jackson, it seems like all the momentum's on his side, you have to put the context in of who he's been fighting. He has not been fighting the best competition. Now, granted, even though Ige has been, you know, fighting some, you know, Movsar of Loyev, future title contender, Josh Emmett, current title contender, Chan Sung Jung, former title contender. Those losses still have to add up somehow in terms of I was hearing, you know, Ige kind of losing motivation a little bit, you know, whether it was going into the Evloev fight or after that, needed to take a break, was kind of reconsidering things. But I really do think this is a good bounce back fight for him. Not good enough to where I'm going to bet it because I, I just don't know. Like, like I feel like if Ige takes a loss here, he could retire. But I, I just think he's a class above Damon Jackson. And I think it could be close at times. But I'm curious to see what happens when Ige cracks Jackson. I'm curious to see, you know, if Ige is able to scramble up to his feet. You know, what's when we're talking, we were talking about Imovov's gas tank. Let's talk about Jackson's gas tank. What happened in that third round against Argueta, who like took the fight on like short notice, too? So I'm not sold on Damon Jackson at all. I think people are massively overrating him. I get it. He's on the best win streak of his career inside the octagon, but he's been fighting absolutely nobody. So. And no disrespect to the guy, just absolutely nobody when you're comparing, you know, to the Evloevs, to the Emmets, to the Korean Zombies, to the Caters, even the wins, Edson Barboza. Like, come on, man. It's just a different level of competition. So unless Ige is just completely checked out, I think that this is one Ige should should get. Land the harder shots, possibly get a knockdown. Scrambling and grappling exchanges can be close, but I think Ige is the tougher guy. I think he's the more, I don't know about more battle-tested because, you know, Jackson's been around the game and he's tough to deal with, but it might be a levels fight. Might be. But regardless, I'm going to pick Dan Ige to win this fight. Featured bout in the middleweight division. And someone said, hard to bet guys who are always losing, but Ige should win. Yeah, exactly. If you don't feel like you have a massive edge or this or that, pass. I'm passing. I don't I, like. I don't need to bet every fight. Like, so I'm good on that one. But this next one, I might have a bet on because in the middleweight division, we have a matchup between Puna Haley Soriano. He's nine and two, taking on Roman Kopilov, who is nine and two. So they both got the exact same record, and currently they got it. Puna Haley Soriano, minus 150. The comeback on Roman Kopilov is plus 130. Very, very interesting fight for a couple of reasons because Kopilov is actually a lot better than what he's shown. And the thing about this kid Kopilov, it's like, you guys know I love fading guys with low volume. Kopilov is a low volume guy. Now I get it. He's got the OV. Uh, as the last two letters of his last name, he's Russian. So you automatically think, oh, dog money on a Russian. I'm going to take this guy. But guys, this is not your typical Russian. This is not some, you know, Sambo uh, world champion. This is not some master of sport. This guy's more of a striker. I mean, don't get me wrong. His ground game ain't that bad. I mean, he did get tapped out by Carl Roberson. But just saying, he's well-rounded. My issue with Kopalov is the volume and the output is so damn low. And it's to the point where, like, in multiple fights, as the fights progress, I've seen this guy 
so fatigued that he's putting his hands on his hips and taking seconds to breathe in the fight. And I'm like, these are like low output fights, man. Like Roman, let, let me pull up his UFC stats real quick. What do you guys think the most amount of significant strikes Roman's ever landed in a UFC fight? The answer is 59. Okay. So Roman is not a high output striker. The thing about Roman that I like though, it like for whatever reason, doesn't throw any output, but when he actually does throw output, his hands can be pretty damn clean. He's got a nasty body kick. It's just like, can you let it go more than once every like 10 minutes? Like if he actually lets his shit go, like, like I said, his hands are clean. He's got nasty body kicks. He's a tough kid. So he's got some stuff. It's just, I love fading the low volume guys. And the thing with Puna Haley Soriano, you guys know how I call Brad Tavares Hawaiian Bisbing, you know, more of that kind of like if it goes to decision for the most part, not always. You know, Bisbing and Tavares are going to win those fights, right? They're, they're going to out-voluming guys. I call Puna Haley Soriano Hawaiian Vitor. This is a guy who he fights from the southpaw stance, excellent at closing the distance. And when he gets off on that blitz, man, guys are, you know, it's like in rush hour. It's like, which one of y'all kick me with that? You know what I mean? Like, guys do not know what hit them when Puna Haley Soriano is out there in front of them. And... You know, we could talk about, oh, Puna gassing and this and that, but Puna still pushes through when he gasses, not to mention he's an all-American wrestler too. So kind of what I think is going to happen here is I think Puna Haley Soriano is going to walk down Roman Kopilov, and when Roman's on the back foot, that's when his chin starts to lift up in the air. That's when the volume really starts to wane, and that's where I think he's susceptible to take a knockout loss here, actually. So... I think Puna Soriano is going to come out here and knock out Roman Kopilov. And I'm actually considering uh, dropping something on the minus 150 to win two units. I haven't bet it yet, but that's a, a possible spot for me here on Puna. Um, I, I just think that he has the style to capitalize uh, on these weaknesses of, of Kopilov. Weak, weaknesses that include very low volume. Weaknesses that include just lack of activity just spaces where he goes without throwing anything and in those fights he's gassing to the point where he's putting his hands on his hip in the middle of a fight like that kind of you can't show that kind of weakness against a hawaiian killer like puna Haley soriano i'm just sorry you can't so people can bring up the brendan allen fight all they want guys brendan allen is on a different level than these guys brendan allen yeah for you know he might have his faults too, but he's still a guy that's you know right here, either in the top 15 or on the cusp of the top 15. I mean, the guy's fighting Andre Muniz next. It's just, it's just a, there's levels to this shit. And Brandon Allen has paid his dues to where he can beat these up and coming guys at this point. So I got Puna Haley Soriano to come out here, close the distance, rough up Roman Kopilov. If he can't get him out of there, I think he wins the decision. If you want to mix in a takedown or two, I'm cool with that as well but i really think he's going to come out here and knock out roman kopilov so for that reason i got puna Haley soriano for the win and a possible bet just follow me on twitter at best fight picks uh check out my bet mma tips and my bets are always posted there so you already know the deal now next up in the 
bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Ketlin Vieira. She's 13 and 2, taking on Rocky Pennington, who is 14 and 8. And currently, they got it. Ketlin Vieira minus 120. The comeback on Raquel Pennington is plus 100. So it actually got the plus money on, on Raquel. And, you know, it's funny. So I posted a little thing like, uh, best bet of USC Vegas 67. Let me know. And literally, like over 50% of the replies were Ketlin Vieira was, was their play of the week. And I'm thinking to myself, like, with the state of judging that we have today, like, this just screams another controversial split decision to me. So when you're telling me your biggest edge is laying slight chalk on Ketlin Vieira, and that's the bet of the night when this fight's probably going to be a split and you're going to be crying robbery, like, listen. If Kellen comes out here, hits her with a judo throw and submits her, hey, <laughs> respect to y'all. But I just don't understand where your edge is when the way I view this fight is just another three-round decision. It's 1-1 one, one going to the third. You know, who does Doug Crosby, you know, who does he have a crush on? <laughs> Actually, both these ladies don't like men, but just saying. Who does Doug Crosby favor? Who does Adelaide Bird, you know, who does she think is better looking? Like, I just don't know what these judges care about. But what I do know is that Kellen Vieira got a nice judo background. You know, you could say that she's getting a little bit more comfortable with her hands now. They're not as good as Rocky's hands, but, you know, she's getting a bit com uh, comfortable in there. And, you know, coming off wins over back-to-back back, back, -to -back wins over former champs, Misha and Holly. You know, it's got to it's got to rise her confidence a little bit. But you also got to understand, like, none of those wins were clean wins, like split decision against Holly, which a lot of people thought Ketlin lost. I actually thought she won. But regardless, like, how do you have an edge when, like, the fight could probably go either way? Like, even the Misha Tay fight, which everyone acts like was some domination. Two judges had it 48, 47. <laughs> that means that that Ketlin lost two rounds in that fight so what i'm trying to say is that like even in these fights that people are quote unquote acting like she's dominating she's still losing rounds in those fights so i think rocky's got the cleaner hands i think that kellen Vieira's probably got the better top control better throws i don't know i just see this being a three round close ass controversial split decision everybody's extremely confident on Ketlin Vieira. I'm not saying you're going to be wrong. I mean, I mean, you have a 50-50 chance to win this, but um, I'm going to go with Rocky. I want to be on the opposite side of everyone on this one. I'm not going to bet it. have zero interest. I don't think I have an edge. I don't think you have an edge. Quite frankly, I don't even care if I don't watch this fight. Uh, no disrespect to them. That's just my opinion. So I'll pick Rocky Pennington via super controversial split decision where people are crying robbery. They're acting like there needs to be a reform in the judging you know they're they're blaming it on variance they're blaming it on this and that but you got no one to blame but yourself if you lose a controversial split decision because you know the state of judging today and you know how close these two fight so where's your edge yeah i'm good now next up kicking off the main card this is a very good one in the bantamweight division we got umar Nurmagomedov. he's 15 and 0 taking out Hayoni Barcelos, who is 17 and 3. And currently, they got it. <laughs> Umar Nurmagomedov, minus 950. The comeback on Hayoni Barcelos is plus 
fifty. So I understand why someone would be tempted, and I, at at these odds, it has to be dog or pass. But um, be, earlier before, if you were able to get on Umar, what was it like minus two hundred, minus two fifty, minus three hundred? If you were able to smash those lines, and hey, props to you, man. I, that's obviously you're beating the closing line by a mile, and that's at the end of the day, your job in this game is to go out there and beat the closing line. So congrats to everybody that hopped in on Umar at those early odds, and. You got to understand the kind of regard I hold Hione Barcelos in. I mean, that last fight against Trevin Jones, one of my favorite bets of last year because um, people are so fixated on this one-punch knockout power of Trevin Jones, but they don't look into the, into the stats. They don't look into the numbers. And if you looked into the numbers, you would see that Hione Barcelos landed more strikes in the, in, in the individual rounds of his loss against Victor Henry than Trevin Jones has in like all his UFC fights combined. <laughs> and if you look at the numbers of the Hione and the Trevin fight, Trevin landed four strikes in round one, two strikes in round two, and five strikes in in round three. Like, so it was just beautiful watching that. Like when you see just just absolutely gorgeous numbers in terms of volume differences, I just love capitalizing on spots like that. And Hione Barcelos, he's got the volume. He's got the submission game. It was actually on the Brazilian wrestling team. His dad is like a stud Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Might even be, don't quote me on it, might even be a Corel belt, uh, which means a black and red belt, which is like a seventh or eighth degree black belt. So it's absolutely crazy credentials, crazy lineage this guy comes from. So I respect it. Uh, it's just my issue is that this kid... <laughs> This kid, Umar, is something special. Like, li li listen to this. We got like a 26-minute sample size of Umar inside the octagon. How many times y'all think he's been hit total in 26 minutes of octagon time? Let me know right now what y'all think. Leave me a, com a couple guest comments and uh, a couple guesses in the comments. How many times has Umar Nurmagomedov been hit total in three fights and 26-plus minutes or however it is? of octagon time how many times y'all think uh, umar's been hit total because i'm gonna let y'all know right now what something beautiful is you want to you want to know what something beautiful is what something beautiful is is what my man the early way in podcast guested guest uh, guest and that's 10 10 strikes this guy's been inside the octagon for over 25 minutes and he's only been hit 10 times like, that's unheard of. This guy is special. I love Hione Barcelos. I think Hione's the man. I just think that right now, we might be dealing with someone with Umar that could potentially be a future champion, a future title challenger. Like, this guy is headed straight to the top. And the guys he fought, I mean, they might not be on his level, but they're no slouches. Sergey Morozov, Brian Kelleher, Nate Manis. Like, listen, Brian Kelleher landed one strike. <laughs> one strike against Umar. Nate Manis landed two strikes. Dude, two strikes in a three-round fight. Do you do you do I need to repeat myself? Nate Manis fought 15 minutes with Umar Nurmagomedov, and he only landed two significant strikes in 15 minutes. Sergey Morozov, who's been doing his thing lately only landed seven significant strikes uh, against Umar. Like, these are unheard of numbers. 
And that's just talking about on the feet. What about the fact that this guy, Umar, can also go out there, land five takedowns in a fight, land three takedowns in a fight? Like, Umar is the complete package. And I love me some Hyoni Barcelos, and I get it. At these odds, you know, when it's like my, it's getting close to minus 1,000, you know, you want to sprinkle a half unit shot, a one unit shot on Barcelos. I'm not going to blame you, but I'm all good because I think that this guy, Umar, might be that guy. So, I got Umar Nurmagomedov in this. All respected Barcelos. I wish his management let him take smarter fights because I think this guy could have been fighting for a title, but he doesn't take the best fights. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Nick said, do you think Umar finishes Hayoni? Now, Hayoni's super tough. I don't, I, I'm not sold that he finishes him, but I'm sold that. He he might he might look like a heavy favorite in this in this fight. Not because it's some beatdown, but more of like an outclassing. But Hyoni's the man, so you'll never catch me disrespecting him. But just think that Umar just might be on a different level. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between one of my favorite fighters, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. He's fifty. He's eleven and five. Taking on newcomer Claudio Hibero, who is 10 and 2. Currently, they got it. Claudio Hibero, minus 115. The, the somewhat comeback on Abdul Razak Al Hassan's minus 105. So I actually took Claudio uh, Hibero here at plus 102. I put two units on it. Um, so no matter what, I'm going to beat the closing line. I'm happy about that. It's closing, you know minus money on both sides. So I got plus money on one side. So I'm happy about that. Um, but there's, you know, a lot of uncertainty in a fight like this, but I guess where I'm coming from is I'm very familiar with, with Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He's actually one of my favorite knockout artists in, in, in formerly the welterweight division. Now the middleweight division, I've always enjoyed watching him fight. People talk about the judo background, doesn't really use it that often, but I, I, I think the thing with Abdul, with, with my boy Razak is that He's got 11 finishes and excuse me, he's got 11 wins. And in those 11 wins, how many of those do you think are first round knockouts? All 11 of Abdul Razak Al Hassan's wins are first round knockouts. So what that means is that anytime he's been past the first round, he's lost. And we'll talk about this Buckley fight where I actually bet Razak at plus 150. And I'd make that bet again, you know, on a split decision, you get a plus 150, but People, the the thing I hear people talking about is only how, well, Razak did that camp and this camp at Denver, Colorado elevation, and he won the third round. Therefore, he's this brand new man, which I, I, which I say is complete, total bullshit. Yes, he did it at elevation, and yes, he won that third round. But let's put some context into what happened in that fight. And I'm a guy that bet Razak in that fight, so don't even try me on nothing. Um, and I would have been cool winning it, but I knew I lost that fight. So basically, first round, kind of close, back and forth, a lot of energy exerted. But second round, Buckley was whooping on Razak to a point where Razak is backing up into the fence, covering up completely, and a few more shots, and it could have been a standing TKO. Buckley could have possibly dropped him, but I think Buckley, you know, who had been knocked out recently, was a little bit gun shy, kind of wanted to play it safe, kind of wanted to get to a little bit more wrestling. But in that second round, when he was teeing off on Al Hassan, 
that was not a good look for Razak, man. Razak was just backing up into the fence, covering up, which is something he also did in the Munir Lazez fight. And by the time the third round roll, you know, came around uh, in the Buckley fight, you know, Buckley was gassed from whooping on Razak in that second round. And let's not sit here and act like, you know, Razak looks so great in that third round to where this is Razak 2.0. Like, my guys, he's 37 years old. This is not the Razak that knocked out Nico Price, knocked out Sabaho Masi twice, where I max bet him twice against Sabaho Masi. Uh, this, this is not that Razak. Like, are, are y'all surprised that Razak is 37? Because I was surprised that he's getting up there in age. I simply don't think that Razak has looked the same since that unfortunate bullshit he's had to deal with. And I think he's always, you know, he's guaranteed excitement. I think he's always got a chance to knock someone out in the first round. And I think he very well could knock out Claudio Ribeiro in the first round. Uh, Ribeiro, a wild guy, an unorthodox guy, you know, lifts his chin up in the air. I think he could absolutely be there to be knocked out. But what I like about this kid Claudio Ribeiro is that Kind of gives me like a bit of those like Johnny Walker and Michelle Pereira type vibes. You know, he's the guy he's going to be walk. He's going to be dancing on his walk to the octagon. You know, maybe he doesn't fight behind his jab, but you're going to see the flying knees. You're going to see the spins. And he's an athletic big boy. And I think he's going to be able to get away with, with a lot of things uh, just based off, you know, his physique, his athleticism, stuff like that. Not to mention his power. When he gets you, he gets you. Some of the fights might be ugly, and then he just knocks dudes the fuck out. He launches them badly. Um, so, yeah, is this a step up in competition for Claudio? Yeah, I, I agree. It's a step up in competition. But I think that it's back to what? Someone told me that Razak was going to wrestle for three. For three. I was like, what, you mean like three minutes? Like Razak's going <laughs> to win a 30-27? Like, like, like please. If Razak's going to win this fight, Razak's going to have to come out here and knock out Claudio, which Razak's knocked out 11 people before. Well, actually, 10 because he knocked out uh, Sabah twice. But he's knocked out 10 people all in the first round. So, yeah, there's a chance that he comes out here and knocks out Claudio Ribeiro in the first round. But if he doesn't do that, then what? Because Razak, I've seen on multiple occasions when he starts to fatigue, backs himself into into the fence, starts covering up, lets you tee off on him. I mean, this is not a one-time thing. Munir Lazez did it. Buckley did it in that second round. Um, let's not even talk about the uh, Jacob Malkoon fight where Jacob Malkoon looked like, you know, a D1 All-American, possibly a, an Olympian gold medalist against Razak because I don't think Claudio Ribeiro is going to come out here, you know, and attempt a million takedowns. But what I will say, Claudio Ribeiro has won fights past the first round. So even if the early going is sketchy, assuming Claudio is still conscious, I think he wins the fight as it progresses, but I'm not writing off the possibility of Claudio knocking Razak out. Like, let's not act like Razak is impervious to being KO'd. I don't know if some of y'all remember uh, what Chaos Williams did to him in under a minute. So there's the chaos sleeping him, but then back to these examples I keep regurgitating, which... Y'all saw that second round of the Buckley fight where he's completely covering up against the fence and someone else is going to take him out there. The Munir Lazez fight, completely covering up against the fence. Someone else is going to take him out there. So, yeah, Razak's fought the better level of competition. Razak's more experienced. This and that. And maybe Razak comes out here and wins. But 
at dog odds against this form of a Razak, 37 years old, has not looked his best in a long, long time. I'm willing to roll the dice. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Take it on the chin. It's not that big of a deal to me. Um, it's just this is a spot I'm willing to to roll the dice, and I got dog money. I beat the odds. So, yeah, I, I got two units on Claudio Ribeiro at plus 102. So don't get knocked out in the first round, and I think you have a fantastic chance of winning this fight, my man. So I'm going with the uh, with the Johnny Walker-Michelle uh, Pereira hybrid. So let's see what happens here. Now, next up, next up uh, in the lightweight division, we got a, a matchup between Mateusz uh, Rabowski. I know it says Rebecca, but I think it's pronounced differently. It's like Raubeski or something like that. But anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll fuck around with the names later. He's, he's welcoming newcomer. Well, they're both newcomers, but... A real, real newcomer in Nick uh, Fiore, but let me let me give Nick Fiore some credit. He's a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and the fights I've seen, look, he's been crushing cans, but he's looked good doing it. So you got to give him a lot of credit. Like it, it's not like some of these guys were like they're in there with cans and you know they're giving you scares in there. Like this guy is handling the cans like you're supposed to handle the cans. So I respect it. It's just that. Mateusz Rabowski uh, is just experienced on a completely different level than, uh, you know, than this dude. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Rabowski who's out here beating Magomedovs, is out here beating guys with 12 and 2 records, 11 and 1 records, and he's finishing that. <laughs> and he's just running a 12 and 2 records. He's He's just seen things that my boy Nick hasn't seen. The only issue with Nick is I don't know shit about him. I know that he trains at the New England cartel, so he's got good training partners, you know. The uh the Calvin Caters, the Rob Fonts has a fantastic coach in Tyson Chartier. So I'm sure he's gonna be good one day. And I think maybe he can win a UFC fight down the line, just not Saturday night. I mean, Rabowski. Dude, this is about to be his 18th pro fight. This guy's got one hitter quitter. This guy can go out there and win um, win five-round fights. He's won five-round fights before. He's starched guys in 15 uh, seconds. He's won rounds in round three. Uh, he can heel hook guys too. Like Rabowski is like that little short, stocky ball of energy that's just going to come out here, hop on that single, transition to a double, get a body lock, suplex this guy, drop back for a leg lock, but we'll actually get it. Where can one punch knock uh, one punch knock you out? So I just think Rabowski is on a different level, and, and I think the the line clearly you know, reflects that. I mean, I forgot to mention the odds, but it's minus 750 with a plus 550 comeback. So Here's the only thing. I haven't seen much of Nick. What I have seen has been good against nobodies. It's been good. But, hey, what if what if he's the next uh, – what if he's the second coming, right? So we just don't know enough, and plus the the odds suck. But, yeah, I'm, I am going to pick Rabowski. I think he's on – I think he, experience level is just ridiculous. Like the difference in, in – yeah. Too much experience, too much confidence, too much – comfort inside the octagon even though it's his debut trust me he's not going to be a guy with the jitters whereas fiore might be so yeah i got rabowski the reason i'm kind of like hesitant to to give a method is because 
Fiore is a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt, so like I am worried about you know sitting here and saying Rabashi is just going to come out here and submit him. It's going to be hard to submit a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but maybe a knockout. So let, let's see what happens. It's going to be good. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, and real quick, before we get to this, everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button, and if you're not already subscribed, please do me a, a big favor and subscribe. And then after this, leave me a comment, share, do all those little things that mean the world to me. So thank you guys very, very much for uh, all your help uh, and support throughout the years and also the new guys. Thank you all, too. So next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Javid Basharat. He's 13-0, taking on Mateusz Mendonca, um, who is 10-0. So someone's O has got to go. And currently, they got it. Javid Basharat, minus 345. The comeback on Mateusz Mendonca is plus 285. So interesting fight. Basharat, very good prospect. What I like about this kid, Basharat, is that he knows how to use his length for this weight class. Like when you're talking about a guy who's in the bantamweight weight division, but he's five foot nine, he's got a longer reach than Max Holloway. He can put up numbers. Like this guy has a style that's going to win a lot of fights for, for years to come, you know, assuming no derailing injuries or any bullshit. But I love this kid's output. I love his strike ratio. This guy lands almost six strikes per minute and absorbs slightly over two. Like, like those are beautiful numbers. 87% takedown defense. When he does get taken down, he pops right back up. Very long. Fights behind his jab. Nice front kicks. Doesn't need, doesn't need to fight for his ego in the pocket. Stand toe-to-toe. Like this guy will circle on the outside and play a very good volume point game, and that's going to win him a lot of UFC fights. And with this kid, Mateusz Mendonca, I think he's super talented, but I also think he's just a kid. I mean, he was born in 1999. <laughs> you, know, he, you know, he's a white, he's almost a Y2K baby. Like I think, I think he needs, you know, a lot more seasoning. Now he comes from a great uh, gym, comes from shoot the box, so you know he's going to be walking forward the whole time. And I think that one day he could actually be a contender. I just think that right now he's kind of, you know, figuring things out. You know, trying trying to put together all the elements of his game so that one day he can make a run. Whereas I think Basharat is like two fights away from like a, a top twenty, maybe possibly a top fifteen guy. So. I just think they're at slightly different points, but like I like Mendonca. He's he's explosive. He's aggressive. Comes from a great camp. Well rounded. Like I like the kid a lot. I, I just kind of expected more on his regional scene. Like you should you should have finished Pedro Nobre. I know you whooped his ass at points, but like that's a guy like when Yuri Alcantara, who you know now he's a retired fighter, but Yuri Alcantara back in his day was like what Mendonca is now. Was that young, up and coming, explosive Brazilian? that can get a lot of early finishes. And you saw the way that Yuri Alcantara handled Pedro Nobre. Don't give me no neck brace bullshit. If, if you know, you know, right? But like, uh, yeah, that that's how you're supposed to handle Pedro Nobre. I, I didn't think that Mendoza handled him like I wanted him to. Took a, a two, uh, two years off, comes back on Contender Series, starches this guy right away. But if you're not starching guys right away and these fights get extended, just the volume, the output, the work rate, of Bashrat is just simply too much. So for that reason, I do have to go with 
Javid Bashra. And I feel like I keep forgetting to mention the odds. Um, I, I mentioned them for this one, right? Minus 345 Bashra plus 285 Mendoza. I'm going to go Bashra out here. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a match between Alan Puro Oso Nascimento. I think it means Grim Reaper, but I actually I was hoping it meant pure bear, but I think it actually means means Grim Reaper. Um, he's 19 and 6, taking on Carlos Hernandez, who's 8 and 1. And currently they got it Alan Nascimento minus 340. The comeback on Carlos Hernandez is plus 280. Interesting fight because I like Nascimento a lot. Like this is a guy like Nascimento has had two ridiculous fights, underrated fights. Excuse me. Underrated classics to be exact. His fight with Paiva, with Howley and Paiva on the contender series, I think is probably the second best fight in UFC contender series history. Anyone want to take a guess what the first best fight in UFC contender series history is or Dana White contender series? The number one fight in Dana White contender series history is Sodik Yusuf versus Mike Davis. The second best fight in contender series history is uh, Alan Nascimento versus uh, Holly and Paiva. But do you guys want to know what the third best fight in contender series history is? Now, this might be controversial. I think it's Carlos Hernandez versus Daniel Barres. That fight was fucking sick. That was one of those fights where I was watching and I was like, dude, you got to sign both guys. And I hope Barres gets his chance. And Carlos Hernandez, for only being eight and one, he's an experienced kid. Like, I don't like to talk about amateurs because, like, you know, to quote Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice now. I know we ain't talking about practice. The reason I'll bring that up is because he's fought legit guys as an amateur. He fought Jose Johnson was currently in the UFC, finished him in the first round. He fought Charles jo- Charles Johnson, who's on this card, beat them both. Um, so that's already legit competition as an amateur. Also uh, fought my boy Brandon Olivas. Uh, Brandon uh, dropped his show, and he said that he called me his bald friend that makes love to the microphone. <laughs> you know, I like this kid, Brandon. He's he's he's. I like his sense of humor a lot, and I respect him too because he's actually out here doing the shit. Brown belt in jujitsu, uh, actually fights like so. When when he says something, I'll listen because he knows what he's talking about, and he's and his sense of humor is not for everybody, but it's for me. I like the kid. But back to this. Here's my issue with Carlos Hernandez. I actually think that Carlos Hernandez is a very smart fighter. I think he's very good. I think he's very well-rounded. I love his volume on the feet. I like the fact that when he gets taken down, tends to pop back up. Super confident guy. Comes out of a great camp. Trains with Bilal Muhammad and all the guys at Valley Flow Striking. So I like everything about Alex. uh, uh, Excuse me, about, uh, I almost said Alex Hernandez. Excuse me. I don't like everything about Alex Hernandez. I like everything about um carlos hernandez except i don't think he's the most physical guy in this weight class i think he kind of can be bullied around now i think he's got a huge heart i think his technique is on point i think he's a hustler i think he's a hard worker i love that part but i think he can kind of be bullied around and the issue with that is this dude alan nascimento um 
Yeah, he is one of the bigger flyweights on the roster. Like, y'all saw what he was on on that Hadley fight? Like, god damn, like that looked like a looked like a featherweight in there at, at flyweight, man. Um, but but here's my issue because we're talking about a big line, we're not talking about a close line here. We're talking about minus 340. So I see some spots minus 450. My issue with Alan Nascimento at a big chalk price is this is that the guy is too content to go to his back. And it's going to work a lot. I mean, the guy's got a nasty guillotine. Just ask Tagir Ulanbekov about that. The guy's got great sweeps, leg locks, and he does really well. Um, like, if you take him down, there's a chance that he's scrambling. He's getting that top position. He might even get your back. Like, Allah Nascimento can scramble with the best of them. If you need evidence about that, go watch the Paiva fight. Go watch the Tagir Ulanbekov fight. But my only issue is that, you know, Nascimento is a guy that I want to bet at dog odds, at, sl- at, at, at pick em odds, because he's the kind of guy that gives up a lot of bad positions. And I don't want a guy who he's the kind of guy that doesn't give a shit if you take him down because he's so confident in his jujitsu and rightfully so. I mean, look where he's out here, you know, grappling with Charles Dubronx and Daniel Willie cad and, and all these guys all the time. So I understand why he's as confident as he is. It's just that when you get him there with someone that can neutralize you and you're laying prices like that, that's where you can expect to get burnt. But I think he's, more physical than than Carlos Hernandez for sure. I think he will get takedowns and top control on, on Hernandez. My only issue is that I know Puro Oso uh, Nascimento cuts a shit ton of weight, and if Carlos Hernandez can make him work for everything, pop back up from the takedowns, make, start making him shoot from a mile away, get it to the point where he starts pulling guard, then you back up, you tell him, "Hey, no, get back up." Not saying that the upset's going to happen and not saying that, you know, I'm not even calling him a live dog. I'm just saying he does have a path to victory if he can truly make Nascimento work, make Nascimento fatigue, make Nascimento flop to his back. We have to talk in these terms when we're talking about a minus 450 favorite. We just have to. We have to address everything. So those are my concerns. I'm going to pick Nascimento as a pure pick. But I think this is a dogger pass situation. Now, next up in in the featherweight division, we got a new matchup between Daniel Argueta taking on Nick Aguirre. So Dan is eight and one, and Nick is seven and zero. Currently, they got it. Currently, they don't got any odds. But I assume, I mean, if Dan Argueta was you know, minus two something against the Bulgarian. I'm pretty sure he'll be minus two something against uh, this kid. And just to talk about the newcomer, Nick, I like the kid, you know? I mean, he's finished, mo- like I said, like like I was going to say about Bulgarian. Like, yeah, he's only fought cans, but he's crushed those cans, and he's looked good doing it. So that's all I can ask for, you know, finishing all these guys in the first round. First time he goes past the the first round, finishes in the second. So he's got some good things going for him. And I think the difference between him and the original opponent, Dolgarian, is Dolgarian was a credential D2 wrestler, right? Whereas this kid, Nick Aguirre, more on the jujitsu side, you know, more. You know, he's got some rear naked chokes. He's got some triangles. He's got some guillotines. So, you know, Dan Argueta, who actually is also... 
um, a D2 wrestler himself, you know, like is a former opponent, uh, Dulgarian, you know, I think that Nick is going to come out here. And Nick is one of these guys that doesn't give a fuck. Uh, not Nick. Uh, Nick also doesn't give a fuck. But Dan Argueta is one of these guys that <laughs> I could see him having the mullet and the mustache and just walking forward, eat a bunch of shots, but can turn it into like grimy grappling exchanges, get on top. Uh, but eat some shots along the process. I think Nick does have some great transitions, some great scrambling. And I think the early going might be a sweat. You know, Dan Argueta shoots right into a guillotine. What's going to happen there? Or it t- takes down Nick Aguirre, is in his guard. Tr- the triangle chokes start getting, you know, thrown up. So I think the first round is going to be the toughest. But I think that if Argueta can get past that, I'm not sold on Argueta moving forward, but I think I'm kind of sold on him. Just being the slightly more experienced guy, knows what the later rounds are like, knows what a different level of competition is like. And I think that, you know, as long as he doesn't get submitted in the first round or get knocked out or, you know, something truly compromises him, I think that he can take over this fight as it progresses. So for that reason, I'm going to take Dan Argueta to uh, go out there and, and win this fight. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Jimmy Flick. He's 16 and 5, taking on Charles Johnson, who's 12 and 3. And currently they got it. Charles Johnson minus 330. The comeback on Jimmy Flick is plus 275. So there was a time when it was like minus 500, Charles Johnson, which was crazy. And people were trying to act like, oh, this is the new Minner and Nerd and Becky fight. And the, oh, suspicious line movement. Guys, that was not suspicious line movement. It was only open in one book, and it got steamed. That happens sometimes. Now it's adjusting. No red flags went off for me. I have zero suspicion of this fight having any funny business. So, you know, people are so quick to be like, this fight is fixed, and that fight is fixed. Oh, the UFC is rigged. And this, the only time I've ever felt like that was the Minner fight, and I knew right away what I was watching. But here, I'm not sketched out at all by this line movement. Yeah, it might be a little wide, sure, because Charles Johnson doesn't often put the stamp on things. He does have some clean hands, and and Jimmy Flick's been knocked out his fair share. So definitely if, you know, Johnson keeps it standing, lights him up, pops that jab, gets that straight going, you know, possibly even gets a knockout because, like I said, Jimmy Flick's been taken out before. But Jimmy Flick's no slash on the mat. His jujitsu is some of the best. Like, when's the last time you saw a flying triangle inside the octagon? Like, you don't see shit like that too often. And that's not – that's just like a, a freckle on his ass, if you know what I mean. And what I <laughs> – some of you don't know what I mean. But what I mean by that – is do you know how many submissions this guy Jimmy Flick has on his record? Um, I'm gonna tell you right now. This guy's got like 13 or 14 submissions on his re- on his record. It's safe to say he's a specialist. It's also safe to say that Charles Johnson doesn't have the best takedown defense. It's also safe to say that Charles Johnson, even though I'm in the minority, I thought he beat Zalgas, and I have a, I have my reasoning for that. I'll explain it later. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think he beat him by a wide margin. I thought he edged him, but we can talk about that on a different time. 
Um, but the thing about it is Charles Johnson is there to be taken down. Charles Johnson doesn't really put the stamp on things too often. And the reason I'm talking like that is because we're dealing with a plus 275. So Jimmy, pull guard and sweep. Jimmy, try try to even use some traditional American wrestling because Charles Johnson ain't the best at, at stuffing, man. But Johnson can get back up to his feet, as you saw in the Mokaya fight, and Johnson will land the cleaner strikes here. Jimmy's been knocked out before, so there's a chance for that happening. But I think it's a dog or pass situation, man. I think that if Flick can get into some of his spots and can really get the grappling going, I think that his submission game is top-notch. Um, it's just that if, when he can't get it going, he's been on the wrong side of some brutal, brutal knockout losses. So that, that's you got you got to be worried about that. Um, I'm just not in the business of laying minus three something on Charles Johnson when he doesn't make a stamp on things. And maybe that changes here, but I'm all good on that. And I'm not putting any stock into, oh, Jimmy Flick coming back for a paycheck, bro. Like this is his first contract. He's making like what, 12 and 12, 20 and 20 at most. Like, yeah. So I don't have any word if he was training or not, but his jujitsu is still fucking good. So if he can, like I said, if he can get his arms around the neck of Charles, if he can, throw up a triangle, do something, he's got a chance to submit him. But I do think the longer the fight goes, it favors Johnson. And I think if Johnson cracks him properly, he can get him out of there. So I'm going to pick Johnson, but I have zero interest in betting it, at least on the favorite. And then last but not least, uh, kicking off the card in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Priscilla Cachoeira. She's 12-4, and four, taking on Sajara Eubanks, who is 7-7. Seven and seven. Currently, they got it. Sajara Eubanks, minus 230. Comeback on Priscilla Cachoeira is plus 195. Now, who am I a bigger fan of? I'm a bigger fan of Priscilla Cachoeira because she's exciting. I mean, you don't often see chicks with one hit or quitter. I've seen her knock people out. Um, she throws big bombs and might not look the prettiest, but she comes to fight, and she's got an amazing story of what she's overcame back in Brazil back in the day. So I respect her. I think she's a lot more honorable than Sarge. Uh, I've never been a fan of Sarge. Always missing weight, unprofessional, beating up her girlfriend. I'm just not a fan of Sarge. But unfortunately, Sarge has a big edge in grappling here. Sarge is a Lloyd Irvin black belt from back in the day. Uh, you don't just earn a black belt in that school. <laughs> don't even get me started. I know some of y'all are gonna make some comments. Don't, don't even don't even start with me, okay? I'm just talking about the jujitsu credentials. Um but it could also be a situation where Sajara dominates her for two rounds and she can't get a finish. Sajara historically has been a gasser and Priscilla is known for those uh, comeback finishes. So a comeback finish from Priscilla is not going to surprise me, but I think that Sajara could possibly get a, get a submission, possibly get a ground and pound stoppage or possibly win two rounds, survive the last round and win a decision. So as a fan, I'd like to see Cachoeira win because I like her better, but I'm going to pick Sajara. I just think the grappling edge is big in this one. Wow. Got through the card. So I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Then I'm down to answer some, some fighter questions. I mean, some fighter questions, some fan questions. I'm truly grateful for y'all being here. Smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. After this is over, leave me a comment and then feel free to share guys. Like I said, you know, been, been giving y'all the longest standing MMA betting podcast on planet earth and i got the the biggest uh the longest sample size of anybody on mma twitter so 
it's much appreciated if you guys help me out and I don't have some big website pushing me. It's just this channel I created to hang out with y'all. So I'm truly grateful for all the support you guys have shown me. So let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. The fight to watch. I mean, it's got to be Abdul Razak Al-Hassan versus Claudio Ribeiro, right? Like, I'm not in the business of missing Abdul Razak Al-Hassan fights, 11 wins, 11 first-round knockouts. This kid, Claudio Ribeiro, reminds me of a a kind of a green hybrid of Michelle Pereira, Johnny Walker. He's going to do some unorthodox shit. He's going to get some brutal knockouts along the way. I have a feeling someone's hitting the deck, and for that reason, that's my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is... Puna Haley Soriano, man. I mean, this is a guy that came into the UFC with a decent amount of hype, and rightfully so, and I think he can be one of the premier middleweight knockout artists um, in the sport, man. And I think that he's got a great opponent here to come out here and showcase that. Show show them why I call you Hawaiian Vitor. Walk this guy down. Don't, you know, fuck his low output, his no volume, and, and, and show him... Uh, that Hawaiian Vitor that I've been talking about. So Puna Haley Soriano is my fighter to watch. Well, y'all, we did it. I'm I'm down to answer a couple fight, uh, a couple fan questions before I get out of here. Um, but if not, again, I'm, I'm so grateful for y'all being here. Thank y'all so much. And let's fucking do great this year, man. So all right, let me just see what y'all got to say. Last call for questions and I'm getting out of here. So CT asked me what's good. Best of luck in this this new year thank you everything is good and thank you best of luck to you rex lee let's go dan let's go rex you know i met rex in person cool dude um let's see my boy moise is wearing the con all right well at least you've you know you've redeemed yourself now you know now you know uh what to do next year that's a little inner joke between us um can you believe this guy moise uh audio made a top five MMA podcast of 2023. He didn't include the longest standing MMA podcast. Instead, he uh, selected guys that have been around for like two months that might not even be around next week. I, I was like, I was like, Moyes, like, like, come on, son. But you put on the cone, you sat in the corner, paid your dues, and we're all good now. Um, so uh, Dimitar says, Strickland's back too soon, back-to-back. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he seems to me like the guy that stays in the gym. But, yeah, I do agree. Might not be his optimal self with this being at 205 and all. Um, Someone asked me, is it weird that it's at 205 and not a catchweight? No. I mean, the dude took the fight on, like, on, on fight week. So he deserves to at least call that shot. Um, and it does Imavov a favor. You don't have to cut as much weight, buddy. Uh, MMA locker room said, what's good, Dan? Let's cash those bets. I agree, my man. I agree. Um, Anton said, we have to watch another Strickland main event. Yeah, but like not all Strickland main events are created equally. It's about his dance partner. Um, and hopefully Nasreen doesn't want to uh, you know, do a little uh, pitter-patter. Hopefully he wants to go out here and be violent. And take advantage of a guy who has possibly been on the couch. So let's see. Um, all right. Let's see. Any any more any more questions for me? A lot of these are just comments. So 
My boy Joe said Soriano all day. Kopalov is the trendy dog of the week. I like hearing that because I think I'm betting uh, Soriano here soon. Um, let's see what else we got. Joe said Vera Vieira is a future title contender, or so I've been recently convinced. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought she was a future title contender until I maxed better against Kazangano, and in round three, she's staring off into the crowd. <laughs> you know, she's prone to pulling stunts. I don't think she beats Amanda. Um, do I think Umar finishes Hayoni? Probably not. Um, my boy Jum said, "Hey, caught you live first time in months. Awesome, glad to get MMA uh, uh, going again." Have you already discussed Dana? What's there to discuss about Dana? Um, what, that him and his wife were drunk and had a little incident? I mean, come on, it's, that's their business. Yeah, I don't condone it, but I also don't really give a shit. <laughs> like, I mean, people are acting like he dropped her and ground and pounded her. Like, she slapped him, he slapped her back. No one was hurt. They moved on. We should move on. So I really don't give a shit. Everyone trying to virtue signal now. Now, now they're going to be like, oh, he advocates hate, hitting women. Like, no, I, I, I don't. Um, and he didn't, I don't advocate that. But to me, I just don't really give a shit. Um, let's see what else we got. My boy, Uncle Wheezy, happy 2023. Thank you, my man. Taylor, sure came on point. You already know the deal, my friend. Um. Goldcap says, I have his love and support. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Midlow said, are you trying to compete at IBJJF Pans? Um, I'm doing the IBJJF Atlanta Open. I think it might be next month, something like that. I don't know. I'm training every day, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. So, guys, thank you all so much for joining me on this special edition of Half the Battle. I just want to say, uh during the break i dropped three fucking awesome podcasts so if y'all didn't get a chance to listen to those i was dropping content during the break so make sure y'all check them out so the first one was like the year recap and review you know the the fight of the year knockout of the year all that stuff i did that with andrew gombas it's on my youtube channel just our best bets our worst bets it was great then the next week i did uh the top 10 boldest predictions for the UFC in 2023. And we had, we had some serious ones. It was me and my buddy Liam. You can check that out. And then a week later, I explained how I bounced back from my absolute worst year in 2021 to come out there and just put up my best numbers to date in 2023. Had to make a lot of adjustments. So um, I dropped three pro uh, podcasts over the break. So if y'all got time, go back and check them out. I think you'll get something out of them. So, guys, thank you all so much again for everything. Smash the like button. Hit hit the subscribe button. Leave me a comment after this is over. Feel free to share. Like, let's get the word out there. Like, let's, let's build this up, man. Uh, I haven't sold out. Still, still, you know, it's just still me and the fans. So, let's grow it. And I appreciate you all again so much. So, you can subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. You can contact me at Best Fight Picks on Twitter, at Half the Battle Pod on Instagram. And I'm truly grateful. So thank you all again so much. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.